0: Shall we begin? Let's begin now. All right, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Frankly Francisco podcast. I am your host. Today, I have a guest, special guest on the show. His name is Brendan, he is the creator and founder of Master Talk. Uh, a YouTube channel that helps people learn how to speak correctly, uh, learns how to master how they they speak in public. So, Brendan, let my audience know a little bit about
1: yourself, uh, about what you do, uh, how long you've been doing it. Yeah, absolutely, brother. It's good to be on, man. So, yeah, I started Master Talk when I was around 22 at the time. So it's been three years, but I've been coaching for almost seven at this point. So how it got started for me, brother, was when I was in university. I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So the guys my age were playing football or basketball or rugby. I was doing presentations competitively. And that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I was progressing in these competitions, I started coaching people how to speak that were younger than me, not because I knew how to coach people, but because we didn't have a communication person to help them do well at these competitions. So I just kind of self-anointed myself. I helped them out with the journey. That's how I learned the skill set of how to coach people. And that's what led to the idea for the YouTube channel. Because I realized everything in my head wasn't available for free on the internet. And then it led to what it is today. That's awesome, man. So
0: essentially, you've been doing this since school. Like you've <laughs> I mean, you you've literally had competitions where about about this uh actual subject, which is it blows my mind that they actually have competitions about this. Like it's amazing. Like you learn something new every day. This is why I love. This is why I love doing what I'm doing because I would have never thought in a million years there was a competition of, of, of exactly about what you do, um, which is it, it blows my mind. For it, but what when you first started out, when you first started your channel, what was the biggest pain point for you? What did you see was the biggest issue for you getting your business off the ground to where it is today?
1: Yeah, I would say the biggest issue for me personally, Francisco, is it wasn't really a business. I had like zero acumen. So just to give you some context, the reason that I did these case competitions was to land a job in corporate America, or I guess mm. in my case, corporate Canada. A lot of my friends went on to go work at banks. They went on to go work on you know, Wall Street, McKinsey, a lot of these management consulting firms. And I, I started my career at Coopers. So for me, the goal was to, which is like an accounting firm for those who are wondering. So basically for me, the goal was to get a great corporate job, which is exactly what I did. I landed a fantastic job at IBM, and I worked as a consultant for many years. So for me, when I started the YouTube channel, I thought it was the stupidest idea ever. I was just making videos, and my mom was freaking out because she's looking at me. She's like, "What are you doing? You work at IBM. You make six figures. Why are you yelling in the basement and making videos?" She was scared for me. She was like, "What are you doing? What's happening?" And and what so I guess the biggest challenge to answer the question directly is that I had no idea what I was doing from a business standpoint. I wasn't really taking it seriously as a business. It was only a few months later when I met my business partner that I realized that I could actually monetize it. But the challenge there was because I was super young at the time, and still am, frankly, but now it's not that much of a deal anymore. But back then, I had a lot of imposter syndrome. It was really hard to sell executive clients to believe in me.
0: So right now, your,
1: your biggest client base right now, is it in the executive world right now? Yeah, exactly. So essentially what happened from, I guess, since, since you want to talk about the business specifically is as the YouTube brand started escalating, right. My YouTube channel started growing really rapidly over the last probably year and a half, I would say, and a lot of social medias and in, in my accounts blew up. So LinkedIn, I, I got pretty big there and clubhouse. I was there really early. So what happened was a lot of these executives reached out for coaching and I developed a specific niche in technology executives because a lot of those guys are, they got, they got big, they got, you know, income, but they're terrible speakers and they need it to get into the leadership positions. the So yeah, I built, I built a niche in that specific area. So your technique, like what, when you coach
0: somebody, hmm. do you use certain techniques? Is there certain phrases you have them practice? Like this is I, like, it's amazing that you you actually teach people how to sp- how to speak properly when they're you know talking into large crowds. So is there a certain exercise, is there certain things you have them do so that their verbiage comes out clearer when they're speaking, they're not stumbling over their words, their mind is not running a thousand miles a minute, and
1: their mouth can't keep up with it. Absolutely, bro. So, so let's go through principle. So this will keep it super easy for people. The way I see communication, Francisco, is like it's like juggling 18 balls at the same time. Right, so one of those balls is storytelling. Another one of those balls is eye contact, vocal tone, variety, smiling. You're doing all 18 things at the same time. So to your point, if there's a lot of things going on in your head, all of the balls will fall. So instead, what you want to do is you pick one ball and you throw it in the air and you catch it. And then once you know how to do that, you pick up two balls at the same time and you figure it out. So how does that analogy apply to public speaking? One technique at a time one strategy at a time communication is a multiplier effect Francisco so as we get better at one strategy we automatically get better in all areas of communication let me give you a simple example let's say this is typical something I would say to a client you're not smiling enough in presentations you're not smiling enough in conversation not smiling enough in general so when they start to do that more like you're seeing with me a lot of this is practiced you start to smile more in your everyday conversations. You start to smile more with your family, and then it starts to multiply over time. But the easiest exercise I can give you that people can do is called the random word exercise. So essentially what you do is you pick a random word like phone, screen, copper, doesn't matter, and you create presentations out of thin air. Each exercise takes 60 seconds. Do it five minutes a day. It'll change your life. Is that that easy? It's that easy. And I'll explain why. I'll explain why. The reason it's it's that easy is because that exercise, there's a lot more things we can talk about, we can go in more detail, but that first one, most people in your industry wouldn't even try that exercise. So let's say I just said it, 95% of people will either think it's childish or they'll be too scared to do it. Most of the people they will think it's too, too scary. The reason it's so effective is because it builds momentum over time. So the first time that you do the exercise, it sounds something like this. Uh, um, Yeah, so a phone uh, is this, and a phone is used for, so you're really stressed, you don't really know what's happening, because you're giving it off the cost. But after you do it 100 times, you get really comfortable with it. You're like, oh, this is actually really easy. And it tricks your mind into believing that everything is easy communication. And once that barrier is broken, you could do anything. And and the other reason it's effective is that's way harder than the corporate whether you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, or a corporate employee, because no one's asking you about avocados at work. You know, you're giving, pre- you said you're a banker, you're giving presentations on banking. You're not, nobody's coming up to you like, yo, uh, Francisco, can you talk about like your tooth for two seconds? Like nobody, like nobody does that in corporate. So that's the key.
0: So like, I, I kind of get what you're saying about, uh you know, repetitive. So me and my son, me, and my oldest son. What we do is sometimes, well, we'll start having a conversation. He doesn't realize that we're, you know, that it's happening. So we'll we'll pick a subject. We went to a, a fair this summer, okay, and we seen somebody dressed up as you know, like he was like spaghetti. So we just made me made an entire story, an entire uh, backstory about how the spaghetti was a superhero, and then how you know uh, we made a, a, a character up called Tomato Man, where he, you know, he had a whole whole villain backstory. It was just. Just stuff like that. It gets, gets the mind going and and he's able to, you know, create in his head with no problem. He didn't even realize that we we went off. Like it annoyed my wife to no end, but stuff like that. I I get what you're saying. It was, it's when you're able to do that, your mind is able to keep up with what your thoughts start coming a lot faster than you think it would normally do.
1: Absolutely, man. You're you're exactly the money. I love that you're doing it with your son. I actually recommend people do it with their kids, the random word exercise too, because it's fun because you realize really quickly that your kid's better at it than you are. And then you start to get a bit jealous and then you start to do it.
0: Their imaginations are off the wall, man. They'll just come up with stuff like you wouldn't even think of, like where'd that come out of left field from? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about it. So have you had, have you held, I know you deal with corporate America. I know you have a lot of executives that you deal with. Have you held like conferences? Have you gone to conferences? Have you had those talks where you've been in the, in front of a crowd speaking uh and you know where those lights shining down on you and all those people staring dead at your face what was the first time what did it feel like the first time you had to do that were you comfortable enough or did you have jitters or do you still get jitters when you do it
1: oh yeah i always have jitters and and people you know always think i'm lying when i say that but the, the truth of the matter is francisco i'm pronouncing your name correctly right yeah
0: francisco I yes hmm?
1: Francis, i just want to make sure yeah, yeah you're good so yeah, so so the, the key, Francisco, is like, all of us are scared of something. Like, let, let me give you an example. Let's say we're talking to right now and somebody calls, okay, and it's Elon Musk. And he goes, hey, Brian, I need you to coach me tomorrow on my speaking. I probably shit my pants. <laughs> okay, there's, there's always a level, even with the experience I have, yeah. even if I'm the so-called expert on this call, right, on this episode with you, there's always a level that scares us around communication, around anything. And speaking is no exception. So for me, uh, there's always some level of jitters. But the way that I think about this is message versus fear. So communication for me is like a boxing match. So one side of the boxing ring is your fear, the anxiety, the stress, the social pressure around communication. Like, Oh, my God, what will people say, how people feel. And the other side of the ring is the message. Why are you on the stage? Why are you delivering this message? Why is it important for the people that you care about? And the goal is not to remove the fear, which is impossible. Fear will always be there. The Rather, the goal, the expectation is when your fear and your message meet in the middle of that ring, that your message wins the match. Okay, your message gets the knockout punch. It's not about the fear running away. It's about making sure the fear faces your message, that your message knocks it up. That goes back to your question around a moment where I spoke and I was stressed out. I'm happy to tell you that a few years ago, I gave a presentation in front of like 300, 400 kids. I don't remember exactly what the number was, pre-pandemic. And I prepared for months. I really wanted to deliver. I was like their communication keynote. I had like a 25-minute presentation to give. And a lot of these kids looked up to me because they were like 15, 16 years old and I was the YouTuber, right? So so I practiced for, yeah, it's like, that's how that's how kids respect you pretty much in this world. So, so I practiced a lot. Every weekend I would practice, boom, boom, boom. I get to the presentation, I find out 10 minutes before it happens, 10 minutes. Somebody comes up to me and goes, hey, uh, Brendan, forgot to mention, can you do half of your presentation in French? Because uh, half of the room doesn't speak English. And in my, And I speak French, but I was like, holy jeez, like I practiced this whole thing in one language and French is, doesn't come to speak. So why did I still deliver that presentation well anyways? Because for me, I'm always obsessed with my audience. I thought back to the kids. And if I didn't deliver a great job, all of those kids would just go, well, I was scared of communication. If Brendan sucks, then I definitely can't master communication. And that was unacceptable to me. Unacceptable. There's no way I'm going to give a presentation for a foreign children and discourage them from speaking. So I went up there and I said, "You're gonna figure this shit out and deliver a great presentation, anyways." That's what I did.
0: So for content, when he's saying he speak French, he's based out of Quebec, Canada. So you know, there you know, they they the majority of the language up there is French. Obviously, they speak English, but most the majority of the language people there speak is French. So that there's the content to that. So what is the largest crowd you've ever had to hold uh, a? Uh, meeting for, uh, to speak? Besides the kids, we're not talking children. I'm talking about grown grown adults. What is the largest crowd you've ever had to speak in front of?
1: To be honest, not as big as you think, because most of my business is coaching. I'm starting to get those opportunities now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in talks with one that will be a couple of hundred of executives. But I would say the biggest stage I've spoken on that's not virtual with execs is probably 100, 150. There's still and a lot possible. of people.
0: That's, yeah, still a, lot yeah. people,
1: that's a lot of people, man. That's a lot right? of people.
0: Cause you know, you're going to have people staring at you like deer in the headlights. Cause they're, you know, people want to learn. And that, and that's one thing that people go to conferences to learn. That's what people don't understand. When you, when you go to one of these conferences and you go here you go to a Ted talk, you're going there to learn, you're going to learn something. And some people are very, very eager to learn, but, but you still have people that go there too, just to, just to doubt what you're doing. You're going to have those people there who are going to doubt you and who are going to continue to, have you ever had anybody like a heckler in the crowd? Have you had anybody that's ever come up to you and basically just
1: try to say what you do is nonsense? I mean, I've definitely had a lot of that, but maybe not that much in person, but definitely a lot in general. I'll give you a few examples. So when I started Master MasterTalk Francisco, I had the idea, the brilliant idea, right, I'm obviously being sarcastic here, to send my YouTube videos to a bunch of university professors, because the logic makes sense. If you send the videos to university professors, and they share it with their students. Well, there you go. They'll just keep sharing with their students for the rest of their careers. And my distribution is free and it's unlimited. Smart idea. Yeah, they all spat in my face, brother. Wow. They, they were like, "Yeah, you're young. You're and some a lot of the replies I got is first of all, don't call me by my first name. You call me professor." And I was like, "Whoa, like these people are messed up." But anyways, yeah, man, I had a lot of a lot of people who who told me Mastech was a stupid idea. But I, I think the, the, the way that I've internalized it, this is the advice I get. Let's go there because I think that's more helpful, is we're always most fragile at the beginning of any idea. So obviously at this point, like, let's say you take the Gary V's of the world. He's at a point in his career where he just he really doesn't give a shit. What he, he doesn't. But I'm also, and me too, but I'm also empathetic to people because I wasn't like that two years ago, like at all. Like i I sure I had some of it where I was like, yeah, I'll just do what I want, but it hurts, like you, you you think it's a bad idea that everyone else is telling you it's a bad idea. It's it's not easy. So so what I would say, kind of let's compromise the gear review perspective with mine is focus on the five people that you know really appreciate what you do. Not like the 5,000 people or even like three people. You don't need a lot of people. So the reason I kept going with, with despite, you know, me, I mean, Jesus dude, think about it. I was making six figures in corporate I was very successful in my career at a very young age. And yet the only thing people were sh- shooting me down for is my stupid YouTube channel. So I had every reason in the book to just stop that and just focus on my career. But the reason I kept going was those five people just kept watching my shit, man. So every week they just kept going like, Hey man, your videos are great. And I never, I thought they were lying to me. Let me be straight, man. I thought they were lying to me. I was like, yeah, are not watching my shit. And they were like, yeah, these are the tips you showed. And I was like, Oh, they're watching my stuff watching my stuff. And so that's what kept me going beyond all of the criticism. That's what I recommend people do.
0: Well, social media is brutal. And a lot of people don't realize that social media can be very, very brutal. You, When you put yourself out there, forget about it. Once you out in the ether, people are going to make their comments, whether they like you, whether they don't like you. You know, they're going to blast you saying that you're worthless, you're this, or they're going to say you're great. You're, you're going to have a range of emotion. You have professional trolls out there that do nothing but troll you. But you have to learn in this industry, especially when you put yourself out there in on, in the social media platforms, you have to grow thick skin. if you can't, this is not the business for you. this is not if you can't stand in front of somebody and have a conversation and deal with what comes with it, it, it might be time to change you know the rum that you're doing. but I think everybody has the capability like you said to you know to master talk, to be able to talk to people, Brendan. I think you that's the point of what you do. You teach people, how to have that confidence and it starts small, minute, but that's the point. The point is you always start small. You don't need to start up here. It doesn't happen that way. You know, you don't become big right away. You have to build that up. But I think we've gotten to where now we're, we're a microwave generation, but we also, a lot of the older folks too, they're so set in their ways like, Oh, because you're young, that doesn't mean you don't have, you don't have the ability or, (laughs) or the talent to do what you're doing. To me, that's BS. It just it it shows the ignorance of people sometimes, especially college professors. Like, oh, don't call me by my first name. S- stop. It's, you're a grown man. The same way he's a grown man. Let's 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 not play that. That aggravates me more than anything else. Um, but it's a talent. You have a talent. A lot of people don't have that talent. You have the gift of gab. You do. You you you're able to talk to people, but you're self taught in that as well. Now, do you practice as well? Do you have a routine where you do you stand in front of a mirror or do you get in front of a mic or do you just talk to people to continue to hone those skills that you're learning on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Francisca. And I appreciate you saying that, brother. You know, I, th- I think what I would say is like we all have the gift of gap. It's just the gap is different. Right. So for for me, you know, don't ask me to be a rapper. It ain't going to work. Like, oh. No. I'll screw that shit up faster than <laughs> faster than the the toast. You know, I don't even know how to do laundry. That's a, that's how weak I am. Like my 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 family optimizes all that for me, so I can just focus on what I'm good at. So I'm super grateful for the people in my life. But the point I want to drive is like, I am like the ethos of the quote by Kevin Durant, which is, "Hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard." Right? I'm a big believer in that because I'm not someone who was. I mean, I had some natural talent, for sure. I'm not going to deny that. But a lot of it was definitely worked on. In university, I probably presented over 400 times. because was a nut job. I probably coached 70, 75 people in three years. I always like to say I'm the Michael Jordan that nobody gives a shit about. Because, like, you know, people care about Michael Jordan, right? He's like, I'm sure you've seen The Last Dance or yeah. whatever. Right? You see him. He's being annoying to his teammates. And, but people give a shit about basketball. I do the same thing, by the way, in case competitions. Nobody cares about them, which is good because I get less... A slack for it. I mean, I get less uh, pain for it. But the point I want to drive is definitely, especially in my younger days, my work ethic was absolutely insane. I don't think I'm as hard working as I used to be. I was nuts. I was sleeping like four hours a day, presenting, coaching people. Like, I I don't even know why I did all those nuts. I just really wanted to win these competitions. But I'd say today, my routine is definitely a couple of things. So I would say number one is guest on a lot of podcasts like regardless if it benefits me intrinsically or not, staying sharp because the personality of every host is always different. Like you're more like New York style, you're more chill. Somebody else is like suited up a lot more professional. So everyone's got their own kind of style and it just keeps me sharp when people ask me questions. That's one thing I do to keep my thought leadership sharp. The other one is definitely coaching clients, especially my advanced people. So I have like different levels of programs that people graduate through. It's like a whole kind of tiered, kind of system and the people at the top I always got to teach fresh stuff to them because I keep running out of content for them because at some point they learn everything they're like why should I keep working with you so I have to keep investing and learning so that my vision for them is always bigger than the vision they have for themselves so my exact clients stay with me for many years so that's more for the advanced people so that's the second thing I do I'm always creating new material for them like recently I started having them do this thing called the moth like this underground society of storytellers that not no one knows about and i have them like present their speeches i came up with that idea like three weeks ago so i'm always trying to refine my craft and then the third thing is definitely video content you know creating more stuff for youtube thinking about my thought leadership and video form so this would be the three big things that i do outside of speeches obviously
0: yeah so like with me i don't like uh, you know, everybody has their own style of podcasting. Mine is is very late. Like, I, don't, I don't feel like I need to dress up in a suit and tie to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah, yeah. And I think when people do that, I think they're putting too much pressure on themselves because they want to present themselves as to be something that they're really not. Like, I wear a suit and tie every day. That is my, that is my, my uniform for work. Why would I want to do that while I'm on, on the camera and having a conversation with somebody? It's not real to me. I want to be relaxed. I want to be in an atmosphere where my guest is relaxed mm-hmm. because I have to deal with that. I have to deal with that every single day talking to people in a shirt and tie. We're not doing it on here. I want everybody. I want everybody to come on here and be like, "Look, this guy's relaxed," because I feel if you if you project that to your uh, to your guest on the show, it relaxes them as well because they know you're not going to be uptight when you're having the conversation. Suit and tie can be kind of intimidating somebody when they come onto a podcast because they feel like they have to be super duper professional. That's not how. And I think a lot of podcasters fell in that sense that. They push themselves, they try to push a narrative too much that's not them. You, you try to showcase something that you're not. So for me, having guests like you, it's something that my guests can learn from. It's, you know, I have, poc- I have different, I've talked to podcasters as well, but I like having guests on that are in different fields because I feel there is a lesson to be learned in every guest that I have. And if I feel if it helps one person, it makes a difference in their lives. Who knows from this point, when somebody listens to the show, they're going to say, hey, you know what? maybe I can hire him. Maybe I can use him. And that's the point because I want to shine the light on people who are who are multi-talented. You don't have to be uh, a celebrity for me to want to talk to you. I want to talk to people like you, people who've created something from nothing and built themselves up to a point where they can go, hey, I can put this out into the world and people are going to listen to me.
1: Oh, thank you, brother. Really, really kind of you to say that. And yeah, absolutely, man. And the same, same thing goes for me. I'm always learning from, from different perspectives as well. And it's every host always has something unique, right? You have your own perspective, which I love. Somebody has their own, somebody has their own. And I'm kind of like the mix of the both worlds. So I like putting a shirt, but I still live in my mom's basement. So it's kind of like a compromise of both worlds.
0: (laughs) So you're doing this full-time, right? This is your, this is your career now. Like you don't, you don't, the, the whole corporate America thing, you're done with that. This is full-time your job. You are a full-time coach, full-time speaker.
1: You got it, man. It took a while. It took me, I quit my corporate in June 2021. So it's been almost a year now. Yeah, it took me, I would say it took me two years and a half to replace my income fully. I'm super risk averse because I'm the only breadwinner in my family. Mm-hmm. I, up until recently, my sister actually just was <laughs> is finally she 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 made it happen for us. But you know, up until that point at the time, I was the only breadwinner. So I was very careful about quitting corporate. And I actually really liked working there you know a lot of people they always they always uh, say bad things about work i really like corporate obviously i was working a lot but i enjoyed the people so i love the culture but it was it was good it was good while it lasted let's put it that way so when it when it when everything got replaced i was able to go full time and what i wanted to do
0: listen i love what i do in in you know in the business world and business banking i love you know helping clients build their businesses up from the ground up I enjoy that, but I ain't gonna lie to you. Somebody coming and offer me a, you know, a hundred thousand, two dollars contract per year for me to sit behind this mic and talk all day. I'm gonna take it, whether I like it, you know, whether I like where I'm at or not. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you have to go, and it's true, you have to go where the money is. You know what I mean? A lot of places, people, that's why you see all these CEOs jump from one company to the next. You know what I mean? They they don't, there's no loyalty when it comes to, uh, to corporate America. They go where the money is. If somebody's gonna offer you, you know, 30 more million dollars than what you were making at one place, you're going to go there regardless of of what it is. So you have to go where, where it's going to make you happy and you have to go where you feel you're going to be most profitable and where you're going to make the most money at. So how much content do you put out per week? This is this is big because I think a lot of people struggle with that aspect. You concentrate on videos, but how much actual content on social media sites do you put out per week?
1: Right, so so happy to answer that, Francisco. And let me give a bigger perspective to that as well. You know, I think the biggest mistake content creators make in general, Francisco, is they don't think about their personal brand in decades, but rather days. So they're always focused on what's hot. TikTok is hot, you know? LinkedIn, organic, super hot. Whatever Gary Vee says is hot, just follow that. It's hot. What very few people do which is exactly what he does and in the, in the brands that actually win is they think about the game across 10 years because those are the people that actually win over a decade. And what are those people doing? So when I started you know, my social media journey, I guess, three years ago, I just looked at the obvious. What is the platform that if I invested 10 years and did a great job and focused it and won, like because you don't want to have nine platforms to do, do a really good job at one and beat everyone else at one. What is that one that's going to actually compound over time? And I realized really quickly that YouTube was the winner. And the reason is because Facebook, count the number of famous people on Facebook. I mean, at some point, you're like, uh, I don't know. Right. You kind of just go, whatever. Instagram, you might name a couple of models. Okay. Kim Kardashian. Okay. Kylie Jenner. And then you might run out of names after like 2025, maybe podcasting yeah there's a couple of people who are famous in podcasting in the medium but people outside the meeting don't know people like lewis house they don't know people like jordan harbinger they don't recognize these people in the street except for maybe like joe rogan right and some other companies blogs okay seth godin is probably like one of the few people tim urban people like i'm listening answer people probably don't even know the people i'm talking about right and and then we just keep going through but youtube you could go forever air rack mr beast pewdiepie like you could just keep going the number of people that you listen to that have status so youtube was a big part of my strategy because i realized that it's the best distribution tool of the world over the long term so now let's do the math 52 weeks a year because minimum once a week is the minimal requirement generally speaking if you want to win on youtube over 10 years that's 520 videos so if i make 500 videos give or take and every single one is gold and i drop them once a week and i don't miss for 10 years I'll definitely win social. And that's excluding every other platform, everything else that I do, if I just get that thing right. So all of my focus at the beginning Francisco was just meeting that goal. How do I make sure that my YouTube channel is the best in the world in that niche? And that was my only focus. And that's the only reason I got the success really quickly. And that's my recommendation for people. So just to break down your answer directly, I just want to give that principle first. I post daily on LinkedIn. And once a week on YouTube, and I pretty much do nothing else besides guessing on pods. So I, one of the things I found is the the hardest nut to crack
0: is YouTube for me. Uh, you know, I, I I don't average I average maybe four views. Some videos I've averaged a hundred. Some videos, like I had a, a flat earther that I did a podcast with that got eight thousand views. <laughs> so true. yeah, but I, my thing is 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 to crack that nut. It's just it's it, it's frustrating sometimes because but I just keep posting. I'll keep posting per week, Um, but everything, people want you to to advertise now. Everything's about advertising. Everything's about spending money. And I understand you have to spend money to make money, but I find it hard with YouTube because if you're not an OG YouTuber, you know what I mean, and you didn't get in when YouTube was was first out, it's kind of hard to get those views, those uh, 1,000 views and 2,000 views. Like, I have 101 followers right now. Like, I didn't even think I was going to get, right, I didn't even think I was going to get to that. But you can't monetize on YouTube till you reach a thousand a thousand uh subscribers and I'm not gonna buy subscribers i am not, not gonna do it because you can it's easy for you to go out and buy subscribers but you, YouTube's gonna know they're gonna know you know because if they're not interacting with you and you're interacting with your content then they're gonna know it's bogus so how did you navigate that like because I, I don't understand like YouTube is one of those things that flush makes me to no end
1: absolutely bro so so i'll give some honest truth because you know me I, I was like the tough love i'm sure you realize at this point so tough love is this first thousand subscribers man google that owns youtube isn't going to help any of us okay because their goal is to make money which is totally fine okay 100 legitimate their business they got to run like a business but what i also like about youtube is that they're fair so if you have the best video in town and your stats show the best video they'll push it up that's why mr beast as the best production. He spends millions of dollars on each video, which is absolutely mind-boggling, which is a story for another day. So how do you win? The first thousand subscribers, to your point, YouTube will not monetize you, which means until you hit a thousand subscribers, YouTube's not going to help push a single thing for you because they don't make money. If they take 60%, sorry, 40% of your ad money, but you don't have aren't running ads, they're not going to help you. And this is why when you have a 1,000 subscribers, I always tell people to turn on ads, whether they want to make money from ads or not, because if you don't turn your ads on, Google won't push up your videos. They won't tell you that, but that's just the truth because they got to make money, which is totally fine. I have nothing against that. I make money from YouTube. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But given that, how do you tilt the edge in your favor? How do you tilt the edge in your favor? Dude, my first 1,000 subscribers, I hustled my fucking face off. To get those thousand subs i messaged two thousand people individually because i had a massive network from university because i was a crazy networker i never asked my network for a thing except maybe like donations to a charity i never asked for a thing like for me because i always gave a lot you know with case competitions i have a big reputation from that that's how i got a thousand subscribers in three months i didn't buy them but i earned them through all of the equity i built up for the three years i said guys i didn't you didn't do shit for me. I helped you with a bunch of shit. All I'm asking for is support me. I'm trying to create communication videos for the world. All those people got behind me. So all of my 20 year old students, my 19 year olds, they started showing my shit to everybody. Even if my videos were crap back then, that's how I got to a thousand. And then the rest, obviously the algorithm helped me and whatnot.
0: That's awesome. But I think
1: the key is don't rely on luck. It's not going to get you there.
0: All right. So before we jump off here, um, where can people reach you at? What are your socials? Uh so they can uh click on you, read you, see you, hear you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So so once again, great conversation, dude. First of all, love, love speaking it. to you. So two two ways to reach me. The first one is YouTube. So just go in Master Talk, check out the videos, enjoy them. And then the second way is if you're just doing coaching come to one of my free interactive live training. So I do a free training every few weeks over Zoom. It's a live call. It's not a webinar. People come into Zoom. I'm coaching people free on that call. And you can register for that at rockstarcommunicator.com. And everyone's invited. Even if you can't afford coaching, just come on, come enjoy the ride.
0: That's awesome. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we need to have this conversation again down the road. Love to have you back on. Uh, who knows, we might make, be able to make this a series on being able to you know, talk to people. So uh, if you have the time, because I know you're a busy man. But I appreciate everybody tuning in. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.